Chapter 28 Vaccination Records Luke never tired of the smell of jet fuel or the whine of jet engines. Something about both grabbed him in the crotch and made him feel alive. His Citation jet didn't need much runway, and Don, their pilot, knew they were in a hurry. He mindlessly hummed the Top Gun theme as they scorched down the runway. It was 9 a.m. Monday, and they were wheels up, hauling ass, and headed to Buffalo. Luke informed their pilot Don to fuck fuel economy and fly at the jet's maximum cruising altitude for even more speed. Even with the extra speed, the flight would take slightly more than four hours. Taking the time change into consideration, it would be approximately 4 p.m. local time when they landed. Luke was distracted. The smell of leather crept up his nose, cut by the sweet scent of Kentucky bourbon that sat on the table beside him. Luke didn't drink unless he was gambling, which meant he was drinking a lot these days. Fortunately for him, his tolerance was still intact. Quan and Eamon sat across from him, Mountain Dews in hand, both with hard looks on their faces. Luke's mind was racing, the bourbon doing nothing to calm his nerves. Occasionally falling off the grid wasn't that uncommon for him or Jack. They lived together, worked together, and shared a psychic connection of sorts, but at times there was just too much togetherness. They needed space. Space was one thing, but this time it just felt wrong. Before, when they ditched each other, there would be some sort of reply if one of them reached out, at least an occasional text. Jack was gone, utterly disappeared, and beyond the reach of even Luke's most inspired psychic attempts. The brief connection he did have with Jack was weird, like nothing before. Luke wasn't ashamed to let Eamon and Quan know that he was at a total fucking loss and scared shitless at the prospect of losing his brother. Luke went back over the timeline in his head. The last time anyone saw Jack was Wednesday. He could safely assume it was actually him on the plane in Buffalo Thursday morning, and it was him who picked up the rental car at noon that day. Then he dropped off the grid. Yesterday had been Sunday and was the first time Luke realized something was seriously wrong. Jack was still incognito. Their office was broken into while he was having the saddest sex of his life with a chick named Chastity. Worse, she was now missing, possibly dead, but at a minimum, leaking blood. Nothing came together any differently no matter how Luke looked at the situation. No puzzle pieces fell into place and he certainly had no grand epiphany. He just knew they needed to do something. Sitting around in Vegas touching themselves and speculating wasn't going to move the needle. He was scared but also pissed. It was fairly obvious that someone or some group had them in their sights and had fucked with something that no one fucked with. Family. Bosco must have sensed Luke's fear and resolve. He sat down beside his master and put his head on his lap. We're going to find him, Luke whispered to the dog. Bosco stared back at him without blinking. He could have sworn the dog knew what he was thinking. Luke heard Quan fire up his computer and start typing. Luke had been around Quan for a long time, and his typing style was uniquely rhythmic and oddly comforting at the moment. I'll see what I can get from the rental car company, Quan said, looking up. Luke nodded. Don't forget to see if you can pull up the security video from Caesars. I want to know who broke into our office, Luke said. 
Eamon sat down beside Luke and pushed a piece of paper across the armrest. And him? Luke asked, looking down at the picture of a puffy middle-aged man Eamon had placed on the table. Richard Long, the Greenleaf guy you spoke with on the phone yesterday, Eamon replied. Luke looked up from the picture and nodded. And his address. Eamon slid another piece of paper in front of Luke. Luke stared at it and thought to himself, If anything has happened to Jack and you had anything to do with it, you're going to have a very short, miserable fucking life. Luke snapped out of his thoughts. If Quan can hack Jack's rental car GPS, we may not have to find him tonight, Luke said. He gave Eamon a hard stare. If he can't, I may need Eamon from the projects with me on this, he said, tapping the photo. My fucking pleasure, Eamon said, squeezing Luke's shoulder. Since Quan's working on Jack's rental car, I'll work on the hotel video. They sat in silence for two hours until Quan finally interrupted the stillness. Got it. I found Jack's car. Quan kept typing a bit and then let out a sigh. It's just over the border in Canada. The only problem is it hadn't moved in days. He could be anywhere, Quan said. Fuck, was all they heard from the front of the airplane where Eamon was camped out. I got into the Caesars video archive and it just so happens that the data from that particular camera has been deleted, Eamon said. Think they have a backup? Luke asked. Maybe, but who the hell knows where it is, Eamon replied. For all I know, it could be a hard copy in a vault. I have no clue what their procedures are, and I'm certain someone beat us to it and erased the copy off their primary buffer. Everything was getting more screwed up by the minute. They still hadn't received a signal from Jack's phone, and the only thing they had to go on was a rental car that hadn't moved in days. It's all they had, so it would have to do. Luke was confident that between Quan, Eamon, and himself, if there was a clue to be found, they'd find it. The airport was busy and the extra speed of their jet was negated, having been put in a 30-minute holding pattern. Fortunately, a white Range Rover had been reserved for them. Unfortunately, it took 45 minutes for the airport attendants to find it. They'd flown into a small private airport on the outskirts of Buffalo. One of the perks of buying large quantities of jet fuel is a nice rental car, gratis. The downside was relying on timely rental cars could be problematic. They moved quickly and threw their gear into the SUV. Bosco jumped in the back with Quan, and they were on the road within an hour of landing. It was a few minutes after 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and already dark. The rover was bathed in the eerie glow of Quan's computer. They made it to the interstate quickly, Luke driving faster than he should have. They made it to the Canadian border and the customs line in record time, passports out and ready to go. The border guard looked them over closely, examining their IDs, then asked, What about your dog? Do you have his vaccination records? Man asked. Luke shit a brick. All this just to get stopped for not having vaccination records for Bosco, he thought. Luke was about to go into batshit crazy mode and start yelling when Eamon quickly interrupted. Right here, Eamon said, reaching past Luke and handing Bosco's stamped vet records to the border guard. Luke looked at Eamon, mouth hanging open. Eamon just shrugged. Yeah, this is what I get paid for, he said. Chastity Banks regained consciousness as their ears popped. 
She'd been moved several times that she was aware of, and although she was blindfolded, she could tell she was on an airplane preparing to land. She lay on her side, nostrils full of new plane smell. She felt the pressure of the plastic zip ties cutting into her wrists and ankles. For most people, her situation wouldn't have inspired confidence. For her, the fact that she was still alive was reason enough to relax and listen to the joyous sounds of her captors bitching at each other. Would you shut the fuck up? You're yelling, and I'm right next to you, the blonde screamed at the man. I can't hear anything. My, my ears haven't popped, the man shouted back. Jesus, seriously? Chastity thought. She took a couple of deep breaths and did a quick scan, an inventory of sorts to see if her body was damaged and if she was thinking clearly. Broken bones? No. Concussion? Most likely. Vision? Well, blindfolded. Can't tell. Memory? She thought back to the last thing she could remember. Luke Glasser was supposed to pick her up for an early dinner. She remembered making a huge mistake trying to stay in character. Thinking it was him, she opened the door without looking first. She remembered the pretty blonde and the man at the door, then being taken aback, thinking she had seen the blonde before. She remembered staring at her while, out of the corner of her eye, seeing the man preparing to hit her with something. Then lights out. Chastity focused on controlling her breath. Though she looked 22, she was in her late 20s and had been with the CIA in Europe working undercover inside a human trafficking ring for three years. When it became obvious that the primary mission was gathering intel and turning victims into spies instead of helping put an end to the trade, she quit and applied to Homeland Security, where she was quickly denied. After a multitude of fruitless interviews, a few weeks later she got a call from the Department of Agriculture. Not the real Department of Agriculture, but a splinter group composed of ex-Homeland Security, FBI, and CIA agents that only a few people in D.C. knew about, an organization created to do the dirty work that needed to be done with no congressional oversight. She smiled at the euphemism. Officially, she was listed as a government employee with the Department of Agriculture. She had a badge, a desk, and everything. But more importantly, she and her fellow agents enjoyed the ease in which they could move from place to place and insert themselves into situations where Homeland Security, the FBI, or any other security agency wouldn't be welcome. The best part of the job was being back home in the States. Having her first assignment working surveillance on the Glasser Consulting Group was one of the perks. She considered her situation. Shit, getting knocked unconscious, bound up, tossed in a private jet, going to God knows where, isn't good, she thought. Having her first assignment go to shit wasn't probably going to help her career either. She took another deep breath and tried to relax. She may have lost the assignment and may be on her way to a painful death, but she couldn't help but smiling when she thought of Luke Glasser. <laughs>